and welcome to another episode of Hobbit in Canada. I'm your host Tom, and with me this week are Steve, Ward, and, and Ward. Sorry, we were trying to go we around. We screwed and then you up the in. order real bad, but you didn't go. I didn't go, so I had to fill dead air. But it yeah. was like you're like you're like my wife. You didn't give me like two seconds to respond. <laughs> you just like right away. You're like, oh, oh you're I... not you're not saying anything. Like, did you hear me? Did you do you understand? Yes. Are we? Yes, I do. Are we? Are we going down this road on the podcast? Let's let's. It's, it's okay. early. It's so, early. I know it's early, but like considering what's going on with Don Cherry, let's just be a little bit careful about how we're directing. You know what we're saying. Yeah. yeah. Um. So <laughs> for those of our international listeners that don't know who Don Cherry is, we're going through a crisis here in Canada. <laughs> yeah, it's not nothing to do with the last election. It is the. Um, it's really like a fallen angel scenario, except for the fact that he's been shitty for 20 years and we should have seen this coming a long fucking time ago. Yeah, it's been a fairly slow and gentle decline, really. Yeah. No, it hasn't. It was aggressive. He just fell off a cliff about a year after he started. And then it's been bad ever <laughs> since. There was yeah. a brief period where we thought that, like, Don Cherry's Rock'em Sock'em was a good VHS. Arguably mm, still a good VHS. I think it's still a decent VHS. There's but- a lot of terrible things he says in it. <laughs> but it was 1994. <laughs> Did you also hear that um, Fabric Lounge is going out of business? Really? Yeah. Yeah, due to their number one supplier losing his job. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we need to move on. <laughs> wow. Okay. You know what, Ward? Just for that, this week in hobby, go. Uh, this week in hobby. All right, what did I build? I built uh, the Imperial building that has the four statues. I can't think of its name. The Basilicum? Sure, yeah. I think that's got it. Uh, I have completed uh, the assembly of all my knights. Uh, I have done the bases of all the knights, and tonight they are going to get a spray of silver. Uh, so they have more than three colors, for sure, because I've got a checkered pattern on the base, plus uh, ruins, plus the actual like ground itself. So Base does I'm not count as three that. colors. What? You need that's, to have the you model need to have like some color on them, too. Right, yeah, no, that's coming. Don't worry. You've got um, three weeks. <laughs> I work, I think, five days in the next week. Okay, good. So I should be all right with that. Oh, we so. should play some daytime games then. I do need to get a few more games to practice, for sure. <clears throat> what else did I do? I was going to say, um, you know how to lose your job like a champ now that we've seen Don Cherry do it. So, a few guys if need be. A few guys at work have just lost start, their jobs. It just so starts with I, the phrase, I you people. I exactly how. Uh, <laughs> yeah, don't start any sentence with you people. Uh, I've been picking Correct. up uh, a bunch of stuff, so I've got my uh, Imperial Fist Supplement book now. Um, uh, you're tempting me to buy more knights that I don't know if I need to buy <laughs> right now. How many gallons do you have? I can technically make all three gallons. Uh, so you need? Do you have two Crusaders? No, that's the problem. I can. Well, I have the weapon options. I only have three bodies. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying. But yeah. do you have? So you just need a body. Yes. What if I sold you a knight without the Crusader? Is it... It's totally unassembled. Oh, maybe. Let me think about that. So, just just to clarify, this <laughs> is the content. limited edition. That's the limited edition Imperial supplement. Fist yes, supplement. correct. Yeah. I liked it. It looked shiny. I threw money at it. So I'll I was going to say it looks fairly matte, but the, the lettering on the side is definitely silver. How uh, Are they still doing the silver logo in the corner of the on the cover? The stampy stamp? Yeah, they are. Like yeah. that one. That looks, yeah, yeah, that what's looks the good. price on this bad boy? That one was 80 so, okay, that's actually not terrible. So double double a supplement. Like, I've seen some of them be like a couple hundred because they come with a few like tokens or something. Oh, no, you can get the all those books without the collector's edition shit that comes with them. Like, I got the Dark Eldar book without that. 
Okay, and it's again. like special edition versus collector's edition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that, that one is just the book itself. Like I didn't get anything else. I got the data card, so that got me all the free shipping that I. Yeah, got. the dark color one was like ninety bucks. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. It's so not too bad. But then, like the Age of Sigmar limited ones, because they're coming out with those two. Those are again double yeah. the existing existing codex, so they end up being like a hundred bucks that sort of thing. So, well, considering they're trying to charge you sixty bucks for a soft cover, tiny rule book. On the on the same note, what's kind of interesting is the collector's edition like that for Psychic Awakening, which we're going to talk about later. It comes with extra fluff, like there's more, like sixteen pages more of the story. Like the regular Psychic Awakening doesn't resolve any of the storylines. All that's resolved in the collector's edition. Really, that's kind of a dick move. Yeah, I know. I'm not sure how I feel about it. Like, great that I'm getting more for my money because just paying double for a cool cover and like silver edges of the paper. What are you saying? I, I bought a couple collector's <laughs> editions. I'm not throwing shade. It's just a lot of money for what you get. Having more no, content true. is good. I, I would have liked a little bit more of yeah. the content that's in the um, Space Marine book, like all the chapter tactics and the Warlord traits that the yeah. uh, Imperial Fists have in the main codex. Oh, I know. I, I would have liked to have seen in that one. Whoa, so. whoa, but then you don't have to be carrying like four or five books with you everywhere you go. You still need You still need both books because they don't have the unit entries in the supplement. Yeah, that's what he's saying. Tom's being Tom's being sarcastic, saying that then you would have to buy less books. Are you being sarcastic because you didn't get the joke about Fabricland? <laughs> I'm just being sarcastic because I'm being sarcastic. I told you there's a crisis in Canada. Everybody's chippy and angry. It's weird. It's what are we gonna do without grapes? <laughs> um, okay. And then uh, I've also whatever. assembled a little bit more uh, aeronautica stuff, and mm. um, yeah, so I've been hot Oh, uh, and then I also assembled, uh, and I've got based uh, two demon princes now with claws. Oh, um, big claws or little claws? Little claws. Oh, Zoidberg style. A little no, uh, no. little tiered warrior, triple prongy, slice and dice fingers, rending claws. Yes. Yeah, monsters rending claws. Yes. The ones that I think I gave you way back. Correct. Yeah. Are they like from the old ass kid? No, nope. the, the the hive tyrant ones. Uh, oh. Like, okay. And like carnifex ones. They're just the monstrous rending claws. Oh, no, just warriors. They're just warriors. Because I have three sets of them on a single sprue. You gave me warrior oh, ones. Okay. Yeah. So it, I guess those would be the right size. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. I kind of wish you had like the the crab claw carnifex stuff. Oh, that would not. I look. have lots of those. I don't think scale wise that would look. That's more slanishy. Those can Ooh, never be nice. too big. Yes. Yes. So, um, yeah. So that's kind of what I've worked on. So, like, little bits and pieces here and there. So, but I've been pretty steady. Nice. Yeah. Uh, for myself, um, I got a Farseer on Jetbike completely done. I finished up uh, a couple little Harlequin things for Onslaught because we haven't, I don't think we recorded since Onslaught. No, we have not. We, we have so, not. Finished up some stuff for that. And right now, I'm working on a Night Spinner. So another one to go with the current night spinner and uh, got that up about halfway done. And I'm also working on a, what are they called? Support weapon platform. Uh, yeah, that's basically what I've been doing. Checks out. That's me. Uh, for myself, just a little bit of building and priming type stuff for um, Aeronautica Imperialis. Plus uh, on the actual legitimately painting side, I've been doing a little bit more work on some of the not necessarily like core models for Gene Steeler cult stuff, but um, more fun things for Necromunda. So like, mm. well, finally finishing the leader, which has been like um, 80, 90% done for a long time. But also with some stuff like a rogue doctor and stuff like that. Because taking your pet Gene Steeler to the doctor, you have to pay a lot extra. I'm not surprised. 
Because doctors tend to notice when you have extra limbs and mm. no eyeballs. Even in Necromunda, that's kind of surprising. Things like that. Well, see, the thing is, they can turn you in and get a bounty, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, So okay. many bribes and or murdering of doctors required to keep them quiet. That makes sense. So, yeah, it's much cheaper to hire your own doctor than to go to the standard one. So, like, the American healthcare system? Pretty much. Okay, cool. Two-tier um, healthcare for the win. <laughs> and, uh, so, I, I do like that, that you have that in the game. Two-tier <laughs> healthcare system. The bribe system and then the public system. <laughs> That's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's yeah. a little too close to home right now, guys. <laughs> well, does that mean I'm going to get 5% off... Uh, some of my public services workers because i mean the gene stealer cults are generally like shitty union employees and stuff right yeah they're taking a pay cut they just get a, like a stat bonus for anger and like a five percent rollback in the cost five <laughs> percent point differential or something yeah. that'd be amazing yeah it'd be pretty awesome they'll cost like uh what would that be 38 credits instead of 40 we'll have to uh we'll have to do a local alberta necromunda politics campaign <laughs> it'll be real weird or we could just start becoming like... Necroberta? Necroberta. Oh my god. Necroberta. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. Gotta build some more of those Promethean pipelines. Oh god, it's too perfect. <laughs> so is the leader of my gang gonna be Jason Cador? <laughs> sure, but I feel like they're, they're socialists. Are they, though? I don't know. The Condor are definitely the, like, poor, stupid, poor, religious psychopaths. Yeah, so that's that's not Marxism at all. I don't, I don't know. No, well, that's, that's... Marxism and religion don't really mix. Yeah, yeah exactly. Religion is more... Okay, let's... Uh, Move on. Yeah, I'm just gonna stop that <laughs> one right there. Are you done, Dan? <laughs> you... I kind of want to keep going, but I feel like I shouldn't. Okay, Tom, how about you? you um, I finished painting everything for Ride Quest. Nice. So the entirety of that game is done. I can actually safely say it as of this moment, I own literally everything available for Ride Quest, and literally everything is painted. That's wow, pretty cool. Wow, that is. How many models is that? It's only fourteen. Yeah, it's not bad. That's cool to have. But it sounds impressive. It does, dude. Sound it sounds really impressive. No, but I like I like having a game like that all done up to that standard. Because Mike was doing that with uh, like Dungeon Quest or whatever it was, right? Super yeah. Dungeon Explorer. Super Dungeon Explorer. He has all that stuff done. Just like completionist kind of hobbying is cool. It's fun. Yeah, and uh, you can definitely tell which minis were phoned in. But there's a few that I spent maybe like a little bit extra time on. See, I wasn't sure if you meant the sculpts or your painting, but now I yes. Know. <laughs> well, and typically the ones that were a little bit phoned in from the sculpt standpoint are the ones that got a little bit phoned in from the painting standpoint. That's fair. So I have to say, though, the models actually are pretty cool. I do like a lot of them. Honestly, the thing I'm loving about it more than anything else is that it seems like, for the first time in a few years at least, the people at Privateer Press are getting to do things that they want to do, and they're having a lot of fun with it. And you can really see that, like... The humor and the joy in the rules and the sculpts and everything around the game, mm -hmm. where they're just enjoying having fun. Whereas sometimes some of the bigger games start feeling a little bit sterile. Like 40K has gone through waves of that over the years, where mm -hmm. there'll be like three editions in a row where everything just feels very blah. Yeah. And they're in a bit of a bit of a bit of a renaissance right now too, where they're going to do some cool shit again. Yeah, yeah, totally, hundred percent. So, uh, cool. other than that, I painted up a fanatic for my goblins for uh, Blood Bowl. And then proceeded to play in two Blood Bowl tournaments. Nice. So that would be Onslaught and... And Winter Mayhem. Nice. Solid. So that was down in Calgary? Yeah. So um, Onslaught ended up coming in fourth, I think. 
Um, We're all looking at Ward, but nobody knows. I think it was It's that. impossible to find out. And I got I got the Stunty <laughs> Cup, even if it was by default. Yep, true. But uh, still had a pretty good record at 3-2 and two with the Goblins. Also thoroughly enjoyed the chance of default. Yeah. That was great. <laughs> yeah, I was really proud of that moment. Um, and then Winter Mayhem, which happened like two days ago, uh, was not as good. I went 1-5. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, I think I came in like 26th. Out of 28 at Onslaught. Oh, goddamn. That's what happens when you drop your last two games. Yeah, that'll do it. Yep. Yep. But it helped out, helped me out. Yes. So. Oh, oh, yeah. like dropped out of yep. the... Yeah. The, last, the last day we had an odd number because uh, somebody ended up not making day two. So since I was already out of the running, there wasn't really anything that was going to... Like, I had gone one and two. Yeah. Uh, two. The losses were great games. Um, got to play... I had to play Brady's Tau list, which is about as hard of a counter to my Harlequin list that I brought. So that was fun. That was a learning experience as to how badly you can get stomped. So that was cool. Yeah, I feel that because like in my last game on the weekend, I got nine casualties against. Ooh, and Blood Bowl, that's <laughs> impressive. Yeah. Wow. So my favorite stat. Probably... Did you like break armor every single time? Like it was just bad. So there's a, a few stats from this weekend that are some of my favorites. One in that game was the first time I've played goblins and never had to use a bribe because he killed all my secret weapons before they had a chance to use a bribe. Oh, nice! <laughs> they come That's on the convenient. pitch. He killed them, and I did, so I never had to use the bribes. Very convenient. Yeah, nice totally. one. Uh, and then <laughs> the other one was that I inflicted 21 casualties over six games. With fanatics, isn't that crazy? That, that's... But like, it's still a good. Yeah. It's a good number, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but my differential was minus eight. <laughs> Ooh, it's <Ooh. laughs> a how lot many, of dead. People. How many self uh, kills did you get? Not own goals, but own kills. Oh, self kills weren't counted in that game. In those, in that event, how many um, would you fathom if you had to add that in for increasing the differential? Six or seven. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> but I think I figured out the. Uh, the, the trick, because the Onslaught, I was the only person that brought Stunty because the build kind of tailored itself more towards Tier 1 teams. Because there wasn't any real benefit for taking a non-Tier 1 team. Sure. Which, I'm a big fan of different events having different benefits. Yeah. However, if you're going for most casualties, yeah. taking a Stunty team was great because every time you killed a model, if it was your action that resulted in the death, you got the, the point. Oh, yeah, so... So, like, my fanatics. fanatics got me probably five or six casualties in Onslaught for killing themselves. Nice. That's awesome. So. Solid. So that was kind of the way to, like, game the system in, like, a really bad failing kind of way. Yeah, well, not really. It's kind of an awesome way. If you're playing Goblins... If you're playing Blood Bowl, man, it's just <laughs> yeah. all about the giggles. Totally. Totally. You can't so. take it too uh, serious. And we did it that way, so that way, like, if it... I was hoping that it would... Push people to maybe go for it a little bit more. Take those like extra like moves towards the, like the end zone, and uh, if it caused a casualty, it caused a casualty. So yeah, oh, that's I did always for me. <laughs> that's absolutely my favorite thing in Blood Bowl is like last square before a touchdown, you go for it, and then you trip and fall and break your own neck. Yeah. It's like literally my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> he got greedy, man. <laughs> he got greedy and died. He died running. Cosmic justice. <laughs> the fact that that can happen in that game is probably my favorite thing. So one of the things about Winter Mayhem is they use a specialized uh, weather table. And on one of the results in that weather table is that it's, uh, it's a frozen ground. Which <laughs> is every time a model goes down, you get to add plus one to their injury. Or to, the, to crack their armor. 
Because they fall and hit their head on the ice. Yeah, so it's easier to crack the armor. And I, that, I played that game, and it was the weather like that for the entire game, and it was my goblins against Scott's halflings. Yeah. So everybody died. It was a fucking bloodbath. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Like, everybody is just Well, dying. when you're cracking armor on halflings when you roll a six without Ooh. Mighty Blow, you're cracking armor. Yeah, no, totally. So, That's pretty intense. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, don't fall down. Yeah, which is not how stunties roll. Especially when there was a good, like, three or four turns in a row where we'd be like, okay, I'm just going to dodge out here. And we'd fail it and then fail the dodge re-roll. So at one point, Scott's like, I need to dodge, but I'm not going to roll it because it's going to end my turn. <laughs> he was, like, terrified to roll a dodge roll because it was just killing fucking halflings. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Speaking of falling down, uh, has anybody here played Death Stranding yet? The new... Not yet, but I heard it's pretty good. You, the mechanic of... so not for me. <laughs> the mechanic of piling packages so high on your back that you become very top-heavy and fall down a lot is probably my favorite game point mechanic of all time. You have to balance taking too many packages on your back so that you can carry a lot to get to your destination versus tipping over. Jeez. It's so weird. It's very bizarre, but it reminds me of that. I've exactly. seen the videos of, like, you know, Twitch streamers where they're they're running and they're trying to keep their balance and then they, like kind of wobble a little bit off to the side and all their packages like fall off the side of a bridge and are like very slowly floating downstream down this river like off into the distance and it's just like womp womp <laughs> you're like well I guess I have to start over is this like Oregon Trail style like have you not heard of this game have you seen it I haven't seen it I just heard that I've okay. had it recommended to me but so the entire idea is the in the far future there is only Amazon deliveries for jobs that everything's been automated away, but somehow, like, drones can't fly packages. You need people to deliver packages. And that is the gameplay loop, is getting a package, planning your route, and, like, either going over the mountains or through a valley, but the valley has bad guys kind of thing. That's the entire gameplay mechanic. <laughs> and the, it does not really reward you for taking guns and shooting people. It rewards you for, like, sneaking around and, like, being a human being. It's very weird. And one of the one of the only specific things that I know about the game is that... Conan O'Brien has a character yes. in the game where he gives you, like, an otter suit so that you can float around in the water. Yes. Like an otter. And you, you can also... You get, like, a little fucking hat so you look like an like otter. Like a Super Mario... Yes. ...suit. The pea grenades are really good. It's so, so weird. Pea grenades uh, destroy ghosts. Yes, because there's, like... Is this water balloons filled with, filled with piss? No, you have to <laughs> pee in the game while you're on your delivery route because yeah. that's how humans work. Yeah. And... Pee is bad for ghosts, so you can fill grenades. Like, special ghost-killing pee grenades. <laughs> is Was this game set in Florida? No. No, this game is set in uh, what, what everybody thinks is Missouri. Okay. It's in the U.S. Uh, okay. The game literally just gives me headaches reading about it. I cannot handle this. I'm kind of into it now. It's the most polarizing game in the history of time. Anyways, we can talk about that later. But tipping over made me think of that because that's been a big theme in video gaming right now is tipping over while carrying boxes well on the topic of you know amazon delivery services uh what's uh what's everyone looking to buy in oh it was a good segue i like that uh night spinners more of them checks out that um, is it there's only really a couple things on my radar but also pretty expensive uh dark uprising box because i cannot help myself yep I like, it, I like it for painful. the terrain. That's... You would. What about those enforcers, man? Those enforcers are yeah, fucking the, awesome. The subjugator sprue looks What about the corpse fantastic. grinders? The corpse grinders yeah. look neat. I'm concerned they're going to be the most boring army to play. Because they have... Unless I suppose you can probably buy them grenades down the road. 
they're the gang of no shooting in a 40k style uh, skirmish game. Yeah. So depending on your board setup, like whether you're playing Zone Mortalis or Sector Mechanicum, uh, they might just be really boring and never get to do anything except get shot and fall down. I don't really care about any of the rules or those models. The Corpus Grinders don't appeal to me too much, but the Enforcers look fucking awesome. Yeah, the Subjugator Sprue with the, the heavy riot shields, the extra layered flak armor... Like, all the heavy weapons and stuff. I've always like liked Infinity badass. models. Like, I, I find Infinity models super cool. And this is just totally mixing the Infinity aesthetic with 40k. Yeah, I think... And I love it. The models look great. Yeah. Uh, I picked up the Enforcers when they first came out. Not necessarily for, like, a p- gang to play, but I think they'd be a cool gang to have. Like, if you were running the campaign, if you're playing, well, no pun intended, I guess, but the Arbitrator. Mm-hmm. That's what they call, like, the GM or whatever you want to call it. Arbitrator? Yes. Okay, interesting. So if Not you're arbiter? playing, I don't think so. I think they call it the arbitrator. But if, if if that's what if you're taking on that role and basically mediating or whatever dispute guy in the campaign, um, sometimes having some of these like NPC gangs to just be like, okay, I'm gonna roll up a pretty strong gang to go fight some guy that's kind of steamrolling in the campaign a little bit and see if I can go like curb stomp a few of his. Uh, champions or whatever to like you had a raid like the imperium stepped in and was like nope time for you to get fucked yeah you could so you could either do like like a relatively soft patrol to like play against somebody that's having a hard time give them like an easy win or you could like you know do a a more targeted lethal raid sort of a thing to try and take out enemy players like it just seemed like a good uh, tool to have in your arsenal if you're running a campaign like that yeah cool. in addition to the models just being freaking badass yeah they're insane they really are and obviously there's tons of scenery in that set, um, all kinds of cool stuff. Rulebook is, the rulebook's actually seeming to have like some unique content in it as well, mm-hmm. which I'm not sure how I feel about that because they're coming up with the Book of Ruin expansion separately that isn't apparently going to have the same campaign rules that are in the box. Oh, for fuck's sake. So it's kind of like supplements. <laughs> so the rulebook that comes in the box isn't quite a full version of the core rules. It isn't quite a full expansion, but it has some stuff that the other books don't have. Perfect. So it's kind of like, God damn it, I am going to have to buy every single fucking thing that comes out for this game. Um, so I don't feel that bad for you. I just want to say, like, <laughs> that's, I know it's $350 or whatever for that set, but eh, it's not that bad. Okay, but like, so one of the things I was really excited about coming out was the Coach's Handbook for Blood Bowl. Yeah. Because finally they were releasing the actual core rule set. Until it was released, and there's a fuck ton of typos in the thing. Hmm. A lot of the rules are really correctly. There's errors with the teams. That's a bummer. And it's like, I don't know, with Games Workshop being so fucking horny for books right now, as what seems to be one of their biggest cash cows, like, they need a better editing team before I just blindly start grabbing every book they come out with. And I'm saying this as someone that's typically been pretty high on Games Workshop right now. Like, they haven't released anything that bad, but... For fuck's sake, guys. Yeah, their their specialist team, which is a relatively small group by all you know, by all accounts, they are pumping out books very quickly, and as someone who does editing as a career, trying to do that very quickly is super challenging. So yeah, their own release schedule is kind of their worst enemy in terms of editing these books. Like it seems like they just straight up need a slightly bigger rules development studio. Yeah. yeah. Um because they're doing so many additional specialist games. We should keep going, because I, I have something on the same lines there. We should pick up this thought in a bit. Um, but the other thing is uh, the new Ogre team for Blood Bowl. Holy fuck. Oh, yeah, they're pretty. They are so pretty. I haven't even seen them. Haven't Dude. even seen them. They are very pretty. The Snotlings are some of the nicest minis. Nobblers. 
Whatever. That's all I got. <laughs> that was good. To yeah, the Noblars, but the Noblars look really fucking good. Yeah. Sure, I will do that. Uh, speaking of, wait, just a second. Did anybody uh, look at the Black Library Weekender stuff? It's uh, all the books that are coming out. Oh my god. Yeah, we, we. I don't even have time to talk about that, but I, I do. I'm actually interested in the Siege of Terra. Dan Abnett's back. Yep, they're, they're bringing out the big guns for the final Siege of Terra series. Yeah. And I think I'm on book 53 out of the 54 of the main series. So the end is in sight. I'm so close. Oh. <laughs> I forget where I stopped. I stopped years ago. I think I stopped about book eight. Yeah. <laughs> I was excited for a solid, like, 10, maybe 15 book series when they and like expanded it a bit. I was like, oh, this will be good. 15 books is a lot. And then we were into insanity. I think Legion was the last one that I like God, bought that, in the five. series. Yeah, I'm thinking that's five because yeah. Flight of the Eisenstein was four, four wasn't it? Yeah, yeah that's a great five. book. Flight of the Eisenstein's awesome. Enjoyed yep. that book. Okay, so I stopped at five and then picked up a few <laughs> randos along the way. Yeah, like I think you picked up Angel Exterminators because yep. Iron Warriors. Yep, and mm. I then I got, got the Talarn one yep. for free from LVO. That's Which also had Iron Warriors. That was actually a good book. I liked it. That's one of the only ones I actually didn't finish. Hmm. I like that book. Because I think I read the first Talarn from the novellas. And I think I bought the second one as a novella. And I just couldn't do it. I just it, I was not into it at all. I don't even remember why. It's very dull and very just dank and sort of dirty. But, but the like, assassin in it's yeah. super fucking cool. Really fucking cool. And the Iron Warriors are legit. The Iron Warriors are perfect. And the fact that just like that that tank crew is just driving around like not really knowing what the fuck is going like on. Like blindly in the apocalypse. Like yeah. blindly Spoilers! Cool. Anyways. If you haven't <laughs> read it by now, it's like three years old. More yeah. That's like 25 books ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like come on. Uh, Dan, so. you're, not, you're not excited for Sisters of Battle? I like them a lot, but realistically... It's hard to get excited for them until the multi-part versions of all the sprues are out, because yes. the starter set style, like, push-fit ones, where you don't have any of the options or whatever, and it's, like, duplicated poses. Like, there's nothing... Like, I'm not going to pick up that box. Mm -hmm. So, like, I'm not even going to worry about it until the multi-parts are out. Oh, that's fair. Gotcha. Makes sense, so... Although, I did have the thought the other day... Have you know the old... Um, the Resin Sisters of Battle special character from, like, the second edition artwork? Yes. One that came out a couple years yep. ago. A, that model actually looks like uh, Danny DeVito from Always Sunny when he has like the stupid white wig on. <laughs> yep. And I'm just like, hmm, how hard would that be to sculpt Danny DeVito's face? <laughs> so I'm excited for that. Okay. Well, which good. will obviously amount to nothing except a stupid joke in my brain. Yeah. But it makes me quite happy. Very <laughs> fair. Very fair. But yeah, the Sisters of Battle thing didn't get me too amped, although the pretty much the only thing from the Black Library stuff that had any immediate sort of impact was uh, they're doing special character plastic I think they're plastic Valerian for, yeah the uh, custodian and the sister of silence character yep and Pretty so cool. s people are starting to wonder like are they finally at some point going to add an HQ to the goddamn of sisters of silence that you can do a formation yep so you can actually take them outside of an auxiliary yeah that would be pretty cool but those models look really sharp yep I agree I very much agree and they're doing a set of pins too aren't they black library probably I'm sure they're doing something like that. that. Yeah. Sounds like science. I think there was a Space Marine Legions yeah. a couple of sets of pins or something. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Ward, anything on yours? Well, it's coming up to Christmas, so I put some stuff on the Christmas list for the folks to buy. So I'm like, uh, if it's 
got uh, death in the title for Age of Sigmar, uh, I said, "Really? Look at that! Interesting. A lot of the the death with the uh, the bone daddies and everything. The boner out. patrol, the Ossiarchs, the Ossiarch bone really reapers. Cool. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. uh, and then for myself, uh, I'm leaning towards some more terrain kits, uh, some Mechanicum ones, like the the drill that they've got. From, that thing's cool, um, actually. I bought one and some buildings for that because I want useless to do, in game. Very cool. Well, I want to do some more like theme tables. I think for sure. Onslaught next year, so I want to do well, Mechanicum like one. Uh, an actual like imperial one, uh, fortification ones, because I still have the fortress of redemption on a bunch of like the uh, gun lines. Uh, I will say the imperial like sector; that. those runes are fantastic. For, yeah, and I, they're so good. And I think this was like a discontinued set for the sector. Yeah, to get like, a few of them were like release. splash release. Yeah, yeah. So like, no, seriously, so I, they are absolutely that, so. unreal for like actual the game of forty k. Yeah, so I was, which is weird. So I was gonna, I was gonna pick your brain and get, like, set up like a table and like, hey, is that enough? Can I put that in just like one tote and then bang, that's a table worth of stuff. That'd so. be cool. Yeah, I like that. That's kind of the idea. So. I'm into that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So segueing again, there's one other thing that I'm really excited about for um, release, and that's actually the new Faith and Fury uh, book for Psychic Awakening. Yeah. Because it sounds like they're gonna be actually introducing. And hopefully do it fucking right this time. Like, Iron Warriors, Word Bearers, Night Lords, all of these factions that always get way too little love. Which is my concern. And I hope it's good, so why don't we why don't we maybe look at the one that was released for your favorite army and talk about it a bit. Yeah, so the, the that's kind of why... Spoiler, the, the reason I'm concerned for your Iron Warriors stuff is because the, the Eldar rule set was not particularly amazing and especially in sort of the the light of what the marines got like the marines got all these crazy rules and doctrines and that kind of stuff and the eldar stuff was very tame so, so what exactly did the eldar get in that book so first of talk about the actual book itself so the main thing about the book is it's advancing the 40k storyline also not totally sold on that like they really build it as this like really grand sort of insane, you know, almost like an end times kind of thing in some ways. Um, that didn't happen. Like, so the... the oh, it is book one. They've already said this this book series is going to stretch on, like, ad infinitum. It's not going to resolve anytime soon. Yeah, okay. Well, that, that's the other thing. So, if that's the case, that we touched on it a little bit at the beginning, the fact is they don't resolve any of the storylines that they start laying out. So all this, this they end up at the very end of the book. If you if you don't want to know what happens in the book, skip forward like two minutes. Um, they basically have this cataclysmic battle. There's a greater demon and they're about to start fighting and then it ends. And the greater demon is, is the, um, the, whatever the new Slanesh special character greater demon is. Can't remember the name of it. Uh, not Celeste or whatever the hell it is, but anyways, the 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 one with the sword staff. Everybody knows the model I'm talking about, right? Yep, yep, yep. Anyways, I know what happens from reading internet leaks, but it's not in Psychic Awakening. It's only in the collector's edition, and the shit that happens. At least it's not DLC. Yeah, the shit that happens basically is the shit that happens at the end of that is actually fucking cool, and I would have liked to have had that. I would have liked some more prequel, maybe as like the collector's edition but not the actual like resolution of the main plot point like I, when i was reading through the fluff i legitimately thought i was missing pages which was super upsetting um 
the rule set. So then the main reason that I, I bought it, of course, is uh, is the rules that they've added for Eldar. Um, and what they added is they added a whole bunch of effectively chapter tactics. So the Marines got all the custom uh, chapters that you can create, like all the Master Artisans and Stealthy and that kind of stuff. Eldar got a fairly similar carbon copy, cut and paste kind of thing. Like they got Expert Crafters, which is identical to Master Artisans. They got uh, Masters of Concealment, which is identical to Stealthy. Um, right. So there wasn't a lot of like really Eldar specific kind of stuff there which was also a little bit annoying. They did go a little bit down the path of some custom, uh, some more Eldar-specific things, like you have Wraith Construct Host, that, uh, or Wrath of the Dead, where you get to reroll ones to wound with Wraith Constructs, which is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, the, the general tactics, there's basically three that sort of stand out. Um, four, we'll call it four. There's the Master Artisans, there's, um, um, or Expert Crafters, Masters of Concealment, Plus four inch range to shurikens, superior shurikens is amazing, because going from twelve to sixteen or twenty two on your uh, dire avengers is fucking game changing. That's actually super cool. Um, and the last one is headstrong, which is plus one to charge. Which when you have a lot of webway stratagems in your in your army, that's pretty fucking cool. Like having uh, shining spears, deep strike in, being able to get an eight inch charge, or even wraith blades, that kind of stuff. Um, they added. A new psychic discipline, which is actually a mechanic that I think I'd like to see them add across the board, where you can replace smite with one of these powers. So that's really interesting, deciding whether or not you're going to reduce your uh, offensive output to get one of these other sort of like mini buff kind of things. A lot of them are like warp charge four, like fateful divergence is warp charge four. You get to reroll a hit, a wound, and a save in a turn for a model. So you like get to cast it on like a farseer or your avatar. Or some some sort of badass character can basically get like a free reroll. You make him a death skull. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so that's neat. That's a really different mechanic. It's not nothing else in the game can replace smite. So that's cool, especially when your warlocks have a really shitty smite because they have destructor. They can only ever do one mortal with their smites. So being able to trade that out for something a little bit different is cool. Um, and one of the powers is ghost walk, which is add plus two to your charge, which is really interesting when you start combining it with the headstrong traits you're getting plus three out of your charge out of reserves so now you're looking at like wraith blades deep striking in and getting a plus three you know that's starting to get pretty spicy so that's that's interesting from the craft world side of things um and then they did aspect warrior powers so every aspect shrine got six powers um that they could replace the one that they come with so like um for example the shining spear one they normally come with reroll hits and wounds against monsters or vehicles um, you could replace that with a further plus one charge or withdraw from combat at the end. Like you can fight and then fall back six inches. Um, so there's a whole bunch of things that they added. Um, the part where it gets interesting is they seem to not know what some of the aspects do. Like three of the six Dark Reaper Exarch powers are close combat related. Okay. Yeah. So that's weird. Like you can have your Exarch do mortal wounds on a six when he rolls sixes to wounds. In combat. Yep. That's... Okay, well, maybe... <laughs> no, a little bit questionable. No, but here's the thing. Games Workshop wrote the rules, so obviously they know what's going on. Maybe the community's just been using Dark Reapers wrong for the last 30 years? Yeah, that they should be melee monsters, for sure. Yeah. Um, what's so really... it's that you're holding Has anyone tried situation? them as melee monsters? Uh, no. Uh, I can't so, imagine why. So, honestly... <laughs> you're right, we could all be wrong. You're playing the, the Reapers wrong. 
But then they added, then the other three powers are fucking amazing that are clearly long range related. Like you have one where you can reroll your Tempest launcher number of shots. You have one where you get an extra shot on your gun. And another one where you get plus six inch ranges for the whole squad. So like, those are great. Those are all totally worth replacing your powers for. Why would you replace any other ones? It's very odd. Uh, and then they also just, like, certain shrines that needed a lot of help didn't really get it. Like, uh, Striking Scorpions, still not amazing. Howling Banshees, still not amazing. Things that were good, like Crimson Hunter Exarchs, just got better. They can now trade out their Exarch power for ignoring the penalty for heavy weapons when they move and fire. Well, that's not bad. So they just straight up made them better. I don't really know that they needed to be. Right? So it's kind of a case of, like, nobody was asking for them to be better they were asking people were going please give me a reason to take striking scorpions or banshees um or hell even dire avengers dire avengers are a little bit different because they're at least troops they at least fill a sort of attack slot and they are they did get a few things that are a little bit better but all in all it just wasn't that amazing the really the craft world traits and the psychic powers were the cool part um and then the saddest part in my mind is the dark eldar didn't get anything beyond just custom traits the cabal traits None of them are worth taking over uh, Cabal the Blackheart. Like, the regular Cabals of the main book, still better. The Witch traits are awful. There's not really any that are amazing. Test of Skill is okay when you uh, roll to wound against a model with 10 or more wounds. Um, you get to add plus one wound. So if your Witches are fighting a Knight, you wound on fives. It helps. It's kind of cool. Um, again... Not sure it's worth, um, like, uh, Cult of Strife, where you're just strength four. With a combat drug, you could be strength five anyways, and you're wounding on fives no matter what, and you're better against other things. What Test of Skill is really interesting for is it applies to planes. So you can take Razorwing Jet Fighters or Void Ravens and get plus one to wound against models with ten or more wounds. So it's a case of, like, I don't think they realize that that applied to Venoms, Raiders, planes for Witch Cults. Right? Like, it's a case of... I'm fairly certain they were writing that in the context of, like, Hellions and Reavers and Witches. Not the other shit that isn't Witch Cult, really. Right? Yeah. That's weird. Very disjointed. Uh, and then the Homunculus Covens, uh, they got some... Again, same thing. Stuff that doesn't really apply to, like, Talos or Grotesques or racks. They got um, uh, Experimental Creations and... Uh, I can't remember the other one's name. But basically, you can overcharge any ranged weapon uh, where... You get plus one to wound and damage. Again, that works on Venoms. So you can overcharge your Venoms for plus one to wound and damage. Which is weird. Uh, and then there's another one where uh, poison weapons give another plus one to wound if their toughness is greater than their target's strength. It's just very, very odd rules. Nothing really amazing. Like... I was looking at trying to figure out, like, maybe I take Talos with Haywire Blasters and Experimental Creations and they get plus one uh, to wound on their Haywire Blasters. But you got to balance that with the main codex. Prophets of Flesh just get a four pinball, which is probably better. Uh, you lose access to the Vexator Mask. Uh, Urian Rakarth goes away. Like, if you do that, like, there's just... The rule set was very... It adds stuff to Eldar for sure, like Night Spinners with Expert Crafters and ignoring cover for their traits are fantastic like that's really all that totally changes in my list i take some of the powers in uh on my farseer to get like a plus two to charge 
changed out the um, Exarch power on the Shining Spears, but the list doesn't really change that much. And my Talos are still Prophets of Flesh. So the book, all in all, was like $40 for like three rules that I'm going to use. So I have to say I was pretty disappointed. And to not get the ending to the storyline. Yeah, which I was actually kind of interested in because they, they really hyped it up. Well, and it seems... My take from that is that they're kind of missing the boat because if they're doing this as something for tournament players, yep. they're not really giving you a comprehensive enough reason to want to buy it. If they're doing it for the fluff bunnies... I did also forget, they did reprint the Inari rules from White Dwarf. Sure. And they changed out... The Yinkarn was clearly too good. They took its Warlord trait from plus one strength, plus one attack when it's benefiting from Soul Burst to its Warlord trait is minus one leadership to everybody within six inches of it. Oh. Because oh. it was clearly the most devastating thing in the game. Right. So anyways. <laughs> anyways. I don't like know why they, they did it, that. They didn't really add a lot of tools to the competitive player. Yeah. So if we're looking at it as something that like a fluff player would really want. Didn't um, have that either. It doesn't have the fucking end of the story. No. Unless they're dropping twice as much money on it. Yeah. And the other thing that's like there were no like there wasn't a lot in the way of like a hobbyist side of things like creating your own custom craft world or like going into some fluff around custom craft worlds or some of the like was were there any like alternative paint jobs yeah there was a few did a little bit with that and a little bit with the inari stuff but all in all like it was a thin book wasn't much in it I have to yeah basically it's pretty disappointed so i'm really hoping that faith and fury is better um and they really don't do the same thing they did for Eldar with the Chaos stuff, because Chaos really needs a lot of flavor. Eldar were already okay yeah. on that front. And I'm actually, I'm not going to lie to you, I'm really glad that they didn't touch Harlequins in that book, because I really want Harlequins to be better and have more options. And I feel like if they had been included in that book, they would have not gotten what they deserved. Yeah, and I guess that's the only thing I'm a little bit nervous about, is that the Space Marine books that are doing, that are really fucking cool, are all their own codex. So here we have a book coming out. Yeah. That has Black Templars and all of the, the like the Chaos Space Marine Legions in it. Yeah. And I remember when the Legions book came out for Seventh Ed. Yeah. It really was kind of useless. Yeah. Yeah. Like it didn't. It didn't really do much for anything. It's like it gave them some rules, but not enough. And yeah. I'm so I'm optimistic because I always am optimistic every time it's something that potentially makes my Iron Warriors feel like they did in Third Ed again. Yeah. A thing. Yep. And I, I'm hopeful, but thank God for Necrons, man. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that the Thousand Suns don't... I, so I, I get it. Thousand Suns have like a lot of psychic stuff already, but with the Psychic Awakening happening, that they're not getting anything? No, they're going they to no, they're gonna get something later the on. The rumor man. is in February, Harlequins, Thousand Suns, War on the Webway. Yeah, no, this is... February's my birthday. Just I know, saying. I'm excited. Can you imagine how good the Zangors are going to be? <laughs> the They're going to be like two points best. cheaper. <laughs> Zangors are already pretty fucking good. <laughs> yeah, so then you can just take twice as many. Yeah. Anyways. I have to buy more. I, I Like, I am I'm excited for that one. War on the Webway, like, I cannot wait for that. I hope that they realize that, like, people weren't super into it. And again, I got to stress, like, for a tournament player, Craftworld Eldar were on the cusp of being really good in the marine meta eh, that's a little bit more questionable it's just the fact that they didn't i feel like like there's no stratagems like they didn't do anything around you know what would have been better than exarch powers for um 
each particular shrine. Stratagems Some over four stratagem. Yeah. Because could you imagine if there was two or three striking scorpion stratagems that were useful and that good cool. and made them awesome? Yeah. Two or three swooping hawk stratagems that really made them fucking cool. Yeah. Two or three howling banshee, the fire dragons, like yeah. you know. So that because honestly, like I, I guess I still kind of see fire dragons occasionally, but not often. But not often. Yeah, I mean, you know, they got an interesting exarch power. They get plus three to their uh, their advance. So if you're running up the field with assault fusion guns, yeah, but they're always in a fucking falcon or wave serpent. You can advance out of a wave serpent, so you can get into me or melt a range quicker. Like it's it's just. Do a they game. ignore the advance penalty when shooting? Because oh, they do. Yeah, yeah, okay, exactly. So plus three advance. That's kind of good. But like, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I'm hopeful, <laughs> but it is also the first one they did, and. Testing the waters. It's testing the waters, hopefully. And maybe maybe we'll see a little bit more with the next one. You're going to see a lot more Shining Spears and a lot more Crimson Hunter Exarchs. Cool. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep, totally. I, I have to say, if I'd bought the Collector's Edition, I probably wouldn't have been so down on it. The biggest part that pisses me off is not the rule set. The rule set is fine. It's the fact that I didn't get the fucking ending to the story. That actually really irked me. Well, are you going to buy the collector's editions from now on? That's the thing. Probably not. <laughs> Probably what I'm going to do is for all the books that aren't uh, related to the factions that I play, I will be just reading them online. Like I'll be reading the posts online, which sucks because the prose is generally okay and it's kind of entertaining. But I'll just read the synopsis. <laughs> yeah, well, when you can't spend 40... I guess that's the difference, right? If you could spend 40 bucks a book and have everything, minus the pretty cover, yep. you'd be more likely to do it than if you're having to spend 80 bucks a book to have everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, is 16 pages in that format is like... That's like 50 pages of a novel. Like, that's like, a, like multiple chapters of a novel that you're just missing. Which is which is interesting. Yeah. So, all in all, I'd probably give it a rating of a two and a half out of five. I'm just very meh on it. I don't, I'm not either way. How would you say it compares to the Vigilus stuff? Way worse. Vigilus was way better. I, if they had done what they, like, for Eldari, if they had done formations like Drazar's Warhost or Janezar's Warhost, and these are the stratagems that come with it, and reward you for like like what they did with Vigilus. Here's a Windrider host stratagem. Or like this is the formation. So if you want to take um, Seer Council, Windriders, Vipers, this is the stuff you get. If you want to take Race, this is what you get. Um, I would have been way more uh, interested in that. I think that's what they need to do with the Chaos stuff. They need to do like, uh, here is a um, War Host. I don't know what you call it. What's the Iron Congregation? Is that what a... What the Iron Warriors call their their whole thing? No. Their Warhost? I thought they had a name for them. Something like that. Warhost of Iron? Oh, anyways, whatever. If they had some sort of formation benefit for that, like if you take Havocs and uh, Vindicators and stuff like that, and you got stratagems around that sort of stuff, that would be really fucking cool. Yeah. Not just plus one to wound buildings? Yeah. Right? Like... I could see you paying one CP to turn this into a veterans, like this is a true veterans of the long war. 
These are guys that have been, you know, around since the Horus Heresy. This is how they waged war back then. This is my, like, old school legion. That's how they should do it. Like, something even almost as absurd as, like, you know what actually, you know what I would fucking love for an Iron Warriors rule? Hmm. You know how right now you can, the units can typically charge, like, out of buildings and stuff like that, but it's harder to, like, get into buildings to get units sometimes? Like, mm-hmm. some, some kind of way to just, like, Iron Warriors can just always charge units in buildings, you get a benefit to charge units in buildings or something like that. Yep, I can see something just like that. Just some sort of Kool-Aid Man rule? Yeah, I mean, you can go through walls, but yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I, yeah, or demo a piece of runes. Yeah, like, because of the way that they would have prepped it, like, yeah. if they're assaulting an enemy unit in ruins, they either, maybe they are minus one of their attacks or yeah. something for the round. Yeah, I hope they, I, I mean, the one thing they did show with uh, Psychic Awakening is they're willing to try new things, like new mechanics. Yeah. That's good. That's promising. We'll see. On a kind of, I know it's kind of downer, considering it was Eldar, but I also do have very high hopes for anything related to the my favorite army, so that's also probably part of it. Yeah, I'm not sure somebody else would have been as down on it. This, the same thing, too, is that I feel like it's a bit of a moving target for what, how we talk about Games Workshop, because three years ago, everything they did was shit, and if they did something that was like a little bit cool, yeah. it was getting praised. Whereas now, they're kind of hitting out of the fucking park. Yeah, and that, you make a and good so, point. Like, you make a good point. We're holding them to this standard where we're expecting it to be good, which, considering we are paying a premium price for the product... I want it to be as good as the Salamander's Codex. Like, not even necessarily <laughs> rules-wise. The Salamander's Codex is on a different level. But I wanted to have... Or, like, Iron Fist... Or, Iron Fists. Imperial Fists. Um, I I'd, I'd wanted it to be on that level. And it just it just straight up isn't. Which yeah. is... Eh, whatever. Is what it is. We should move on before I cry in a corner. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, in a couple weeks, we have a team tournament. Yeah! It's true, we do. Of yeah. which I will be using these new rules that I just complained about. Yeah, oh, why not? I'm going to be using the rules that haven't changed since uh, the Necron book came out, like... Six months ago, when it feels like... You got slightly cheaper. No, the Necron book came out um, two years ago. Oh, has it been that long now? Was it one of the first ones? I don't think it was one of the first. It was like in It came January, out just after the LVO, the last LVO that I was at. Yeah, from the Forge Bane set. Yeah, so like two-ish years, yeah. A little under two years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, for sure. So you're playing Necrons. Ward, what are you playing? I'm playing Imperial Knights. Oh, and you're, are you going to take uh, the Loyal 32 or the Rusty 17? Negative. I'm just going... What's the Rusty 17? S- straight. It is 15 uh, Admec Rangers and two Engine Seers. Oh, okay. I had a feeling. Yeah. Rusty 17. Because <laughs> that sounded a lot more like a sex move. It is in the Imperium, <laughs> for sure. Um... Yeah. You're going pure knights. Pure knights. Why so, are you doing that? Uh, does it involve a servitor? No, we could. The Rusty 17, for, I feel Rusty like 17 for sure does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A lobotomizer. Hopefully it has some like metric or imperial to metric conversion as well. Otherwise, that's terrifying. <laughs> um, well, El- oh, God. <laughs> I love the pun on so many levels. Uh, uh, so LVO, I am going to take down Imperial Knights, and I'm going to play just pure Imperial Knights because most people do have uh, the rest those, of those allies uh, factored in to get some extra command points and such. Um, so you run this as a bit of a bit of a test. These, yeah, these these next pure... couple months are just kind of like the test phase to see. I've got it kind of narrowed down between two lists that we've you kind of have no dis- choice discussed. Knights eat up points fast; and they don't have a lot. No, 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 exactly. So. <laughs> But, um, 
yeah, so I mean, like, this is this is kind of going to be a testing ground to see if I can actually have on, hang on to objectives and, and that sort of thing. So I can go from there because, uh, yeah, we'll see how I do because it should be interesting. I did pretty good, like, last year, and the list will take out the assassins and put in more knights. So it'll be interesting to see how. Yeah, which the part that I'm interested out. in is if this is a test run for the LVO, magic boxes are going to be a thing because you just can't interact with boxes no No. which is real interesting but uh can't the missile hats indirect missile hats can indirect that's the only interaction that'll be the only thing do all of them have missile hats uh in my three night list yes they all do in the four night list i think only three of them would still have it yeah so you got three missile hats either way correct so it's not great but it helps yeah yeah two held runs is exactly the same price as a uh, gallant literally mm. just trade one out that's the that's the trade out because i find that my gallant dies really quickly kind of needs to in the game which is which is fine i'm prepared for it to do that but if i can get another gallant in your face is that better than having two more armagers holding on to objectives or skirting the flanks or something else? What I'm really interested in, so there's the the rise of Tau. We've seen Tau have been huge everywhere in all these tournaments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Tau do not like knights going uh, boom in their lines. The last time I, I, I played a Tau army at the last LVO, and I feel like I didn't scratch them very much with the knights. Like, he just kind of backpedaled and pulled away and... Yeah. We were playing two short board edges, so I had to cover a big distance. Oh, that, yeah. You that also sucks. had three gallons. And I had three gallons. And I if was you have just two shooting knights, it's a lot different. Yeah. But, I mean, I was just trying to get up there. My assassins were the ones that actually won me the day on that game because they were holding on to the objectives, which, because I had to have a character on an objective. Yeah, you got the bonus point? Yeah. Huh. So, so I, was, I was scooping up all the bonus points that way, but, yeah, now with... Now with the new Tau, I don't know. It'll be interesting. So, so we, we're off on a bit of a tangent, so I'm going to be playing Eldar, um, and that's going to be the team. So so I guess let's just talk a little bit about team events in general. Um, now, the team events that I've played in for War Machine have been pretty straightforward, and I'm pretty sure the one, our format's going to be the same for this one, where the team of three, each team puts a list forward. On a table. On a table. One of the three tables you're playing on. The team, I can't remember how you determine who gets to pick which table first, but you each pick a table that's available, put a yeah. list down. Normally it's this team over there, that team over there, yep. kind of thing. Yep. You put the list down, then your opponent team will choose who plays against that list. Yep. And then whoever was not assigned plays each other. Yep. Um, now, the Blood Bowl tournament this weekend, there was, a, there was a team, excuse me, was a team event, was not that way. Really? It was, your team had to be comprised of three unique tiers of teams because basically Blood Bowl is broken down into, depending on how you do it, uh, three or four tiers where the best teams are tier one and like stunties either tier three or tier four. Interesting. And originally I was thinking it was going to be done the same way where we'd get to actually be assigned to something. Like you'd, you'd pick the, your team to go forward and I was saying that like, yeah, uh, as a stunty player, like throw me, throw me into the wolves and then get the good matchups for the other two. Yeah, which is the right way to do it. It's totally the right way to do it. Um, unfortunately, they did it where like tiers played like tiers. That's interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. So if you had you had to have three t- uh, tiers. Yeah. So there was no real matchup. None. Like, uh, you just played who you were assigned to play. There's no. Yeah, that's really weird. I didn't. Even, so there's no strategy there at all. None. Weird. Yeah. 
Although, I guess there is a bit of strategy, like, what's the best tier one list you can make? So there was a lot of mirror matches. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I could see some mirror matches, or like, what's the best tier one list you can make? Okay, well, what's a list that would be terrible in the normal scheme of things, but what beats that tier one top list? Like, that's what's also in list? tier one. That's also in tier one, that's a skew against the top list, but would lose to like tier two stuff or whatever. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. I don't know how I feel about yeah, that. Yeah, and so, like you were saying, typical convention is you throw a team to the wolf, like your, your one list to the wolves of that, this guy's going to fucking lose anyways. So throw them out there, and whatever happens there, it works out, and then try to give the other two players the best matchups you can. Yep. Um, now, one other thing that's actually been done pretty successfully in some War Machine tournaments is saying, we don't give a fuck about the matchup, but try to get the best, the best table set up yep. for each player and ignore who they're playing against. Well, that's how the ETC works. The ETC works uh, very differently. You have seven tables. So there's seven players on, e- on ETC teams. Yeah. And of the seven tables you play on, one has zero terrain. And then one <laughs> table has more terrain than you've ever seen. Yeah, that's how the ETC does it. So literally there's Planet Bowling Ball where there is not a piece of terrain. It is a grass field. That is weird. <sighs> yeah. Mm, questionable. And then it basically goes from grass field through to like a couple buildings, a little scattered yeah. terrain, normal table, a little more, more, more ter- and then like literally a full on like necromundus. So do they just put like towel on the bowling ball table usually? Maybe like it's, it's it becomes a big thing. Like that strategy is is totally like okay. Maybe you uh, like the other team has a bunch of shooty lists. Maybe on the bowling ball table we just put down like the witch cult Eldar list because I don't know why you brought that, but. That's what you brought. Or like, the 300 orc boys. Yeah, that, that table, you're fucked. Like, just that list is to the wolves kind of thing. Mm-hmm. At least you could actually deploy the 300 orc boys. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> um, no, it, it's interesting. So our team tournament is not going to be done that way. There's going to be three tables of approximately similar terrain density. Yeah. So we're going to have to figure out, like, which one matches. Like, ideally, we'll have to make sure, Ward, that you have ability to move on the table that you're on. That's going to be a big consideration. Uh-huh. Um, see if I can do some surfing minimize magic boxes if there are any whereas I love magic boxes in large buildings that are big enough that my doomsdarks can actually sit on top of them Uh, so fun fact I actually hate magic boxes too (laughs) because my bikes can't go in there and neither can my talos so Tom will be magic box central yep Yep. (laughs) the cool part is the Yinkarn can go inside magic boxes can appear in them Funny enough, infantry. so can my destroyers? <laughs> yeah, they're infantry, which is cool. Uh, so that's one of the reasons I like the Night Spinners. If you're inside a magic box with, like, uh, Nurglings and shit like that, Night Spinners indirect them, and then the Incarn warps in. Nice. Yeah, which is kind of fun. <laughs> um, I'm not sure exactly how the the wraiths work for magic boxes. Like, they could move into them, but they can't charge into them. Yes, correct. Which is super weird. <laughs> Because they ignore terrain only in movement, not in charge. Correct. Which is bizarre to me. Um, yeah, so you huh. could move into it or move into the wall, because ITC allows you to be partially placed through a wall so that you can't be blocked, because that's a big thing. Like, if I'm one point, or 0.8 of an inch away from the wall, and the wall is, like, 0.3 of an inch wide, yeah, you technically can't charge me, because you can't be placed... On the wall, yeah. On, in the wall, so ITC allows that. So you, can, you just need to be able to move into the wall. Okay, so 
It's going to be weird. It's going to be very weird. Our, our matchups, like Marines and boxes, aggressors and boxes, and centurions and boxes are going to be <sighs> problematic. For me, not for you guys, because I'm going to be fucking playing against them. Yes. Yeah, we're going to be, so that's our plan. Uh, anybody that's going to be listening to this before the team tournament, if we get it out by then, uh, if you're playing Marines, we're going to try and throw it all at you. <laughs> Just make sure your, your Marines can fight Necrons. Yeah, but that's the interesting part, though. Necrons, I think, are going to be in a really good spot. Because you were just mentioning destroyers. Destroyers fuck up Marines real bad. Oh, yeah. Like, they don't really give a shit about Thunderfire Cannons. Because Thunderfire Cannons, eight shots. Who cares if it hits on twos? You're probably in cover with your infantry, bikes, jump pack, destroyers. I don't even know. They're infantry flyers, thank you very much. Yeah, I don't really understand how that works. Um, I guess when jump wraiths pack? Aren't, when wraiths are not infantry? Yeah, it's weird. But, um, whatever. And then you Veil of Darkness them and murder a squad. Yeah. Like, uh, they're going to be really good. Wraiths are really good. Three up involves, lots of wounds, tough five. Doomsday Arcs are going to fuck... They, Doomsday Arcs straight up do fuck up um, any of the marine vehicles. You have three flyers that will absolutely wreck Thunderfire Cannons, because Thunderfire Cannons are a problem. Yeah. But your Wraiths fly, your Destroyers fly, like, they'll be okay. Yeah. Um, that was the big consideration with this list, is everything flies. So if you have Thunderfire Cannons, okay. It's fine. You can't you can't tremor shell me. Um, you can't tremor shell ward. So thunderfire cannons really we don't none of these lists really give a shit about them, which is cool. Yeah, like that because um, I have a feeling we will see one list with two or three thunderfire cannons, and they can fuck up my wraiths and my mortals. Nope, wraiths fly, don't they? Nope, they don't fly at all. They just ignore terrain. Yeah, uh, yeah. But they do have fun. a three up invul save, so like yeah, yeah. They're not going to likely do too much, but. And if they're tremor shelling them, they're wounding on fives anyways because it reduce one strength. So that's not really a huge issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm lo- I'm looking forward to the team tournament. I love this theory crafting of like trying to figure out what our matchups are. <laughs> I think it's really fun, and for me, I really enjoy breaking up the regular kind of grind of the tournament season with team events oh, totally. because. It gives you that little bit of extra something to do, yeah. um, to think about how you're doing up your lists, because you're no longer doing up your lists in a vacuum. Yeah. You're thinking about it relative to your teammates, relative to what other teams might be doing. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is that you know, like, none of the teams are allowed to have more than one codex yeah. at any point in time. You get a lot more variety. Right. What is also... what So, an interesting point that uh, I was listening to is, to, I think... And I kind of, I'm not sure, I hadn't really thought about this beforehand, but I tend to agree. I think team tournaments are the way competitive 40k has to go if it's going to keep growing. I agree. Because you look at the LVO, it's already 10 rounds, 9 rounds with the optional 10th playoff in round or whatever, right? Like the At like midnight. The bonus round or whatever. Like, if you have, SoCal had three undefeated players. Kasoka had 200 and some odd players over five rounds. So you had three undefeated players. If you want to have two-day tournaments and not start going to three or four days or that kind of thing, uh, you need to have team events because you can get three times the players or seven times the players depending on how many uh, how many people you want on the team. I also think it's more compelling to watch when you're uh, streaming a tournament and you're watching it on like Twitch or whatever – and you're talking about, like, Toms in, you know, like, you have Team America versus uh, Team Great Britain. And you have two matches where it's going America's way. You've got this particular player who's 
holding it together for this team. You know, he's win by one kind of thing. Like, I find it a lot more compelling when you have multiple matches going on in a in context of a larger match that you're interested in. Um, so I think that's kind of interesting. That I, I never really thought about it that way. I always thought of team tournament as the distraction from a singles event. Maybe it's the other way around. Maybe, it, may, or maybe it should be yeah. the other way around. And I guess to an extent as well, just... If you're if you don't have three hundred people registering for your event, you just don't have seven people per team. Yeah, you have, three. you have like three or two. Yeah, because even then you're still. If you had like a, you know, no two people from the same like Imperial or you know Eldari or whatever like main yeah. keyword, you'd still be forcing like a decent amount of variety as well. Like yeah. even if it was two or three players, not six or seven. It's also a lot more fun getting your face wrecked at a team tournament when you know that like, you were the sacrificial lamb. It's a lot easier yeah. to take. Yeah. You're like, hey, Ward, we got to throw your knights to the wolves here. Because, like, that wolf enlist we can't deal with. <laughs> you got to deal with the wolf. I the town players must really like this format, the whole greater good concept. Yeah. <laughs> no, but for real, like, it's a lot easier to take that loss than just, like... Because I know that my other two uh, partners are most likely, hopefully, going to have better pairings. And, and it's funny, because normally, in every team tournament I've gone to... That's my role. Because I'm the Merc player. You're the guy that gets bust? I'm the guy that gets thrown to the wolves, because I always take these, like, relatively take-all-comers, win-on-scenario kind of lists, and um, where I don't necessarily have this reliable win condition that I want to be in this specific situation for. Yeah. But I can kind of grind my wins out of whatever. Yeah. So I often am the guy that's thrown just... Right into the shit. Yeah, and we have a really interesting situation here because none of us are particularly good. like a head. Yeah, heads and shoulders above anybody else here as a good player. Like, well, nobody... you well, in terms of experience, you're sure, up there. but that doesn't speak anything involving uh, our records at tournaments lately. Um, yeah, fair. The what I was going to say though is we have an interesting situation because we basically ask like two questions: like, can you deal with quantum shielding, which is a serious question. Yeah. Can you deal with knights? So dropping either of those lists down first is really interesting to sort of like segregate like, okay, maybe they have an answer to knights. Maybe they have two lists that are really good against knights. One of them we know is going to go against knights or one of them we know is going to probably go against Necrons. Like we have two really interesting like cases of not like Ward's new to the game. We're going to throw Ward at you. Or Tom, you're actually you're new to the game way more than Ward. Ward's played a lot more tournaments than you have lately. Mm, not lately. Not Blood Bowl. Not lately. Tournament, 40k tournaments, you actually played ELO. More recently than Ward has played a tournament. Yeah. But. Sure. And I played the doubles event. So I've played two 40k tournaments. How many 40k tournaments have you played, Ward? This year? Ever. Or in the last Just five Vegas. years. Just Vegas. Just Vegas, I think. Yeah, it's still six rounds. You only play five. Oh, no, it'd be two three-round three tournaments. You've played more tournaments, same number of games. Yeah. So, point is, you might be newer-ish? Yeah, whatever. It's, yeah. So, I, I don't know who th gets thrown the wolves. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the weak player and I need to be the one that gets curb stomped. <laughs> who knows, man? But this is the fun thing is you can think about all the different dynamics as much as you want. And then day of, who the fuck knows what you're going to do. And, and then how, how many teams are total this week? That week? Ten. Ten. Yeah. Okay. So, we always defend with Knights day one. And then when everybody when we crush day one, we're going into day two undefeated. Uh, everybody knows, because everybody else is going to be talking, that uh, Hobby Night in Canada always defends with Knights. We switch them out. Necrons. Bait and switch them. <laughs> yep. Because the shit that kills knights does not kill necrons. Nope. Uh, we bait and switch them on day two if we're going good. Gotcha, gotcha. I love that idea. Just 
playing them like that's my favorite part is playing the meta game within the pairings matchup like even like on day two being like no no we're gonna we're gonna mess with them also the one thing i'm really excited about is that this will be the first time ever that we've been able to wear the hobby night jerseys Mm -hmm. as a team at a team event Mm -hmm. yeah that'll be pretty sick pretty sick which means i kind of really want the us to at some point embrace a five-man team 40k event ATC, I think it's fine. Is there a team tournament where not everybody has to play the same game? Is that a thing? You can just borrow Because that would increase our chances. <laughs> well, there's four of us here that can play 40k team tournament, no problem. I think we just have to go to where the wherever the fuck ATC is. It's like Kentucky. Oof. <laughs> I think American that's, that's I think America Team too. Championships is five people per team, but it's in like Kentucky. Ugh. Woof. Yeah, I'm not sure. Kentucky could be fun. Could be fun. It could be very interesting. Like maybe if we just magically make lots more money and get more holiday days, then sure. At Kentucky, I could see being a good time. Lots of bourbon. Yeah, I. That's literally the only thing in my head where I was like, "What redeeming qualities might Kentucky have?" I was thinking chicken. as someone who knows nothing about that. Have state. you never heard of a small establishment called Kentucky Fried Chicken? But you don't have to go there to get it. <laughs> but I but bet it you could be better. The homeland is probably better. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like nowhere is particularly that great anymore. No, probably not. Once I get rid of trans fat, it's just been kind of okay. I went to KFC the other day. It was really bad. I was very disappointed. It was yeah. like it was like the two-year KFC interval. You know when you're like, every like half a decade, you're like, I need Taco Bell. I had Taco Bell on the way here. Because it was that like, <laughs> half yeah. A decade. You're going to feel real bad in about an hour. It's been gurgling, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That grade Z beef. Mm. All the filler. <laughs> Anywho, we should move on. Next topic. Mirror paints. What are we talking about for the last topic? Oh, yeah. We were just going to shit on the, yeah. the color shift paints. Color shift paints. The, uh, AKA, I believe Ward said this before we recorded, the color shit paints. Color shit paints. Ah. So, I know at one point we talked about reviewing them, and they're, and they're a very cool product, but I'm getting kind of sick and fucking tired of just seeing armies just sprayed in a bath of them and then called done. Because it looks like dick. I agree. I think they work for such limited, specific purposes. Like, they look good, on, in my opinion, on Iron Hands, where you have either black power armor or black metallic power armor with a dusting of the color shift paint just for, like, a little bit of shimmer. But, like, but like just the dusting. Not, like, overloaded and, like... Yeah, it's... And they're really hard to mix with traditional techniques just because a lot of them, if you don't do them over a black base coat, they just go all fucky, which is the technical term. Yeah, yeah. they got to kind of go over black or I've seen some success over metallics. But if you do like the, in a lot of cases, if you do the pre-shading and other techniques like that, when you do the color shift paint over top, it just does not go correctly at all. No, the gloss black, black I think, has been the, the best um, undercoat for the color shift paints. And to be fair, that's what the majority of them recommend. Yeah. But so it's I just used... so hard to mix that with traditional paint methods. The what, the what the hell was the... Was Paco's Monkey did color shift paints? Uh, Green Stuff World. Green Stuff World. Is that what we got in Paco's the Monkey is uh, no, Shapeways. Uh, we, we got... Turbo Dork. Turbo Dork. As well. We got a single Turbo Dork. Okay. And, so... some of those, and some of those are just sort of like a two-tone metallic Which is what than... I got like a transparent color shift. Yeah, which is what I got, and I actually have to say I really liked. Yeah, um, the two-tone metallics are a little bit more straightforward to use. Yeah, and they, I think they have a better use case. Like, they're not over-the-top color shift. Like, it's not like some sort of, like, 
mid two thousands weird Japanese sports car color shift thing. It's it's actually just like a, a interesting tonal variation. Yeah. Whereas, like for me, it comes down to it doesn't make sense in the scale for most surfaces that it's being put on because you'd look at a car and how that would be impacted by the color shift is not the same way these paints would apply to like a space marine shoulder pad. And to be fair, I think most of these pigments are developed for RC car painting. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're, they're being adapted for miniature painting, not developed for a miniature painting. Because again, on a car, you're you're spraying the entire surface, and then you have like your tires and your like windows, and that's and mirrors, and that's about it. That's yep. not the color shift paint. Whereas if you're pl- applying it to like a model, if you don't need to be able to see out the windows, you can, you just can paint the, the entire window. thing exactly. So, but when you're applying it to a model, usually there's more working parts and bits and pieces that you want to like hit something else. Yeah, it looks weird. And that looks, looks weird. Yeah. with the with the color shift. Like the only times I've ever seen it pulled off okay-ish, I'm sure you guys already touched on this, is the Tau uh, models. There's a couple Tau battle suits that have yeah. used it to... Some Tau, the, like the stealth and the ghost keel and stuff like that, they can the pull it off. The smooth surfaces, yeah. yeah. But again, it, when it's done more subtly than I see it executed a lot of the times. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Like, you've got to... If, if this is your jam and you're really fucking into it and you're like, fuck you guys that I probably didn't listen to anyways, um, just do it subtly. Like, the less you do on it, the better it is for what you're wanting it to do. Yeah, I'd agree with that, probably. Um, and then also really actively think about what other surfaces on there you're painting and how are you highlighting and shading that. Because yep. you can't just go through and do, like, how you would normally paint everything else and then have color shift paints on this large surface without it looking completely fucking out of place. I also think or just color... with a shitload of masking fluid involved. I also think color shift paints require a gloss. Uh, varnish at the end of it too like they need to have that clear coat looking yeah uh, depth to them to really make it make sense and in a miniature scale like it just doesn't make sense at the end of the day like you have even on a night that has large smooth surfaces you're going to end up with very weird um, transitions between the color shift and then the trim yeah trim at the end the gold is going to be weird even like the candy effects that i did on the nights had a bit of that they look very disjointed but they aren't color shift. Like they're not going to look different at each angle and you're not going to have a different color palette, uh, you know, dealing with your trim as you flip the model around. It's just blue. It's just different shades of blue versus like a purple or a green. Like that's a completely different palette. And it's kind of not the main point that we're getting at here, but uh, photographing miniatures with color shift paint oh, yeah. is a complete train wreck in a lot of cases. Um, like people trying to get good photos. Like you can get videos to a certain extent, uh, that pull it off, but also if you have, um, depending on the the polarization filter on your lens as well, you might lose a lot of that color shift um, just automatically through through that. Yeah. So like, there's trying to get those pictures to like put on the website, or if you're a commission painter, or a, if you're doing crystal brush or whatever, they had like online voting. Mm-hmm. Color shift paints would be kind of a non-starter because yeah. outside of in person, where you can change the angles and get that live effect, it's just not going to be noticeable. Mm-hmm. So it's just going to make your, you know, with, with the ultra gloss paint and the color shift that may or may not appear because it's a still image, like you're just going to make it impossible to photograph. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a, an interesting idea, has potentially some niche stuff and some very odd, like, ghost keel. Like, I can see a ghost keel being painted in that stuff, like a black to green color shift, gloss, okay. Canopies. Yeah. Yeah, Especially now that a lot of the canopies from GW aren't clear plastic. Like, oh, really? I think some I think some of the kits that used to be like the newer Space Marine vehicles, like the 
I think some of the new Space Marines flyers, they just have like a solid plastic one rather than a clear plastic one. Am I right? Oh, you're thinking of the Stormhawks. Yeah. 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 Stormhawk so think, interceptors. They have a bulky, like just blast shield looking thing. I don't so know. So I'm, I'm concerned that GW is going to move away from, because I quite liked the clear canopy thing. It reminded me of like, I I was building model airplane kits before I was ever doing 4K. Oh, yeah. Same thing. So, I mean, I kind of liked that uh, clear canopy yeah. effect. But if you're not getting that, if you're just getting the armored solid canopy thing then metallic paints might be a good substitute just to get kind of a cool effect i really wanted to um on my um storm talon a lot of fighter jets have the gold tinting on the canopies i wanted to do that but that's not color shift that's like a um, gloss metallic with a very fine flake or something like that i don't even know what you would use for that to I, have, that. I have a gold color shift that might work for that like goes from like nothing to gold it's like red to gold yeah see i want to go from like clear to gold because they they frost it as it gets down to the edges. Yeah, just just feathering in a coat of gold over something is really all you can do. And if it's not a clear resin or clear plastic, yep. that's it's kind of a non-starter. Yeah, like that's the only time that I've thought about like maybe there's a color shift out there that would make this happen. But fun fact: spraying like spraying gloss varnish will not, in fact, turn the model clear. No, which is very disappointing. <laughs> but it's true. Yes, false advertising. In fact, it might even uh, fog up your canopy quite badly. Gloss shouldn't mount well. Gloss can, yeah, it definitely can, but it, it's you have less to lay it on than matte. Thick. Matte is way more likely to just instantly frost it. Oh yeah, and it will because that's the entire point. But the the gloss you can depending on how thick or thin you lay it on. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun. Point is, color shift paints. No. <laughs> Much like this segment, it's often just phoned in. Yep. Correct. <laughs> we needed a third segment. And, yeah. and if you made it this long. And just I guess, I guess we should probably just say too, I think the thing that kind of prompted this discussion is um, I've started to see a couple of folks on Instagram, like, you know, some of your like Sergio type, like studio painter guys. Some of them are starting to mess around with Vallejo is now doing a, um, a couple of box sets of color shift paints, but it's, they're doing like dozens of these different colors. And it just seems, it seems like overkill and, like a lot of us, we like I think when we saw them at first, the temptation was legit to go out there and drop like a hundred bucks on. I bought both sets. I'm not gonna lie, I bought both sets for Green Stuff World, but I've yet to find a, um, yeah, uh, a place to really apply them to. Right. So the I mean the biggest thing for me is if when you I'm, do your ghost kill army. Yeah, exactly. So no, I I find that again, like they don't lend themselves to like miniatures very well or even like in small like cases so i'm gonna try to use it for some terrain pieces and see what ends up coming out well that's yeah, some, like some infinity that. terrain and, and stuff like that could be a little different yeah you know one application that i legit think would work is drop zone scourge yes yes yeah yep. for sure again smooth surfaces a lot of them have that very swoopy kind of uh, shape to them. Like yeah, those, those complex curves yeah but that's like how fucking corner case is it for me to have to go like drop zone scourge? It's pretty corner case. I'll give you that. Yeah, I can see that though. Like the metallics on some of the terrain, like the chimney on like a sector mechanicus thing, doing that, and the color shift gold with like a. The other thing though, is as soon as you wash them, they lose a lot of that. You can't really wash the the paints no, afterwards. You'd have to. You'd have to really kind of like apply like the wash and like specific like right around like edges. Yeah, maybe an oil wash. Most of it. Or using or using some maybe using some of the Citadel gloss shades that's could help with that as well. Citadel glosses, but maybe. not all the colors are available in that. Yeah, point I, is that's maybe a tough one. 
Which, honestly, it reinforces the point. The color shift paints were designed for a one-layer application where you're not trying to force um, visual interest of lighting. Yeah. Which we have to do with the scale that we play these games in. You have to show shading and highlighting where it's not like I buy a shirt and it's got shading and highlighting on it. It's just the natural lighting yes. yeah. creates that look. Yeah, I mean, all again, color shift paints came from car painting. That's all there is to it. Correct. Like, there's a mild color shift on my cash guy. Yep. You know what's not shaded? My fucking car. Yep. I mean, we have spray guns. We could make it shaded. I will say, high-end hot rod paint jobs do... That's different. They do. They, they'll they spray a... Uh, which is actually kind of interesting in the context of what we're talking about. They'll spray a chrome paint, like a, a very, very reflective metallic, on some of the edges, like where they want to show more lighting, where they actually do want to shade it, but it is so fucking subtle. And that's just for contouring. That's not necessarily for showing where lighting would go. No, they want to show... Uh, well, it's very much like how you would paint like an Eldar Falcon. Like you would uh, recess shade like uh, with like a just a lar- darker color of your paint. The difference is they're doing it with a metallic at the beginning of the process and then laying candies over top Yeah. versus trying to show that in, a, in an actual tone, I guess. It's just the depth yeah. of the paint. So, yeah, if it's your thing, go ahead. You know, I'm not going to yuck your yum, but just be mindful of how you're doing it. Think about the composition of the model. I'm going to say don't do it. It looks bad. And there's there's probably safer bets to blow your hobby wad on. Yeah. Because there's always something out there demanding your hundreds and hundreds of dollars. It doesn't necessarily need to be color shift paints. Yeah. If you want to get a good looking army fast, I'd much more likely recommend you buy contrast paints than color shift paints. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Yeah, spend your $100 on an airbrush. And <laughs> spray regular paint through it. Yeah. Really. You'll get a better end result, for sure. Okay. Well, until next time, this has been another episode of Hobby Day in Canada. I'm Tom. I'm Ward. I'm Steve. And I'm Dan. And Mike's not here, so... Fuck Talk you, Mike? <laughs> and until next time, play some games, paint some models, and... Uh, God, just, just don't play those shitty paints.